audio with Nick and Charles. Welcome back, our friends, uh, to the podcast that never ends. Everybody. All right, I messed that up. Welcome back, my friends, to the show that never ends, however much you wish it might. This is two-track audio. We modify that kind of a, a, a little bit uh, most most times. Yeah, well, I think I think the way that I phrase it is a little more like... Um, uh, like like genteel sounding maybe than you do because i say yeah. like like uh, however much you wish it might you know it's like a very like douchey way of putting it <laughs> as you it's might excruciating say. how pretentious that sounds yes indubitably but uh, uh well how you been nick i see you're uh well hey um before i ask that i can ask a, a classic question of this podcast what you sipping yeah so uh I am drinking a fine Pilsner beer. I'm drinking a, a Miller Lite Tallboy today. Uh, originally from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, mm-hmm. so kind of got a soft spot in my heart for for cheap Brew City brews. Hey, kind of got um, a you know, kind of have a soft spot in our heads because of because of uh, <laughs> Beer City brews. Am I right? You know what I mean? Yeah, you got that right. <laughs> uh, you know what I don't understand about uh, Miller Lite though is like. So they used to have a slogan, like part of a campaign slogan one time was mm-hmm. like, uh, how did it go? Uh, spelled different because it tastes different or something mm-hmm. dumb oh, like that. Oh, like, yeah. like why is light spelled L-I-T-E? Well, it's much cooler. You know, okay, I think perfect. that's probably what it comes down to. If I had to guess, yeah. uh, light is because like, well, and it's probably like, you know, um, Bud Light is L-I-G-H-T, you know, related to this also i'm i'm sipping on a uh, i have a a polar seltzer lime um oh. which is uh non non alcoholic ultimately mm. but um but uh um i was watching i i've so when we last spoke about this i had not i had seen most of but not all of the james bond films well i finally this past week have made the plunge and i'm watching the remaining ones and so far, enjoying all of them, I kind of had like the bottom of the barrel in a way. Like it was the ones that are the ones that I had left are the ones that like people generally dislike. Sure. Like Diamonds yeah. Are Forever, Sean Connery's last one, um, the uh, the three Brosnans after Goldeneye, the second uh, Timothy Dalton movie. But in the second Timothy Dalton Bond movie, um, uh, License to Kill, uh, he goes to a bar in Florida in like Key West and um, order and him and and this like like CIA pilot that he's working with order a bud with lime. They're like the, the waitress is like, well, what, what, what do you want? And she's like a bud with lime. And, and Bond mm-hmm. is like, I'll have the same. And it's like weird to see Bond drinking a Budweiser, but that made me think of that. Cause that sounds yeah, amazing. Doesn't, doesn't that sound good? Like uh, a roadhouse bar in Key West, you know, <laughs> you're there with like a beautiful and dangerous woman um there's a uh like like colombian uh drug cartel guys on your tail and you you order a bud with lime well you know that a frosted mug i i don't think that that sounds very good because <laughs> because screw st louis but uh <laughs> oh, i do sorry, have a slight <laughs> i do have a slight anecdote about that so i i remember seeing when i was watching the sting 
years and years ago. Do you remember <laughs> the Sting? That's um, I have never uh, seen Robert, the Sting, but it's a, it's okay. I, Robert Shaw, um, <laughs> who else is in that? Robert Redford. I'm thinking of Robert Redford and right. Know, Ro- Ro- Robert Shaw is from um, Jaws. Yes. Okay. So that's right. So Robert Redford and Robert Shaw oh, are both in yeah. in that film, and then um, uh, several um. Paul Newman. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. His name? Yeah. 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 I'm I'm a little iffy on all those names, but I think I got them all right. Anyways, so there's like a train scene when they order drinks, mm-hmm. and like the waiter on the train brings them all Schlitz. And I mean, my point in comparing that to to Bond is that for decades and decades, you know, following Prohibition, the laws in the United States were such that there were only really about four uh, breweries in the entire United mm-hmm. States. Mm-hmm. And there, and those four different breweries, because there wasn't really any competition, they didn't really get very creative with with their beer. So, like, you know, Miller had had their few offerings, and and Bud mm. Budweiser had their few offerings, and Schlitz was uh, the number one of the number two brewery in the country for a long time, actually. Wow. Um, hey, I, yeah, I, and I, I like all, a Schlitz. You know what I mean? As, as yeah, far as yeah. like that kind of thing goes, I think I I put it up there at the top, really, in terms of like domestic like big kind of loggers like that although i guess it's a yeah, relatively yeah. small company but to put in the same uh, like yeah a, at this point like, like a cores or a or a paps blue ribbon or something i i, I or what about uh so it. you have this one out on the east coast uh youngling oh yeah i like i like youngling youngling however, however you pronounce it i i wish that yeah they that would. is good but but that's yeah. that's foreign though right i mean or or is it is it no, i, I just think it is because um that sounds German to me, but I guess I could be wrong because Miller is German. Junglinger is, is ch- child, <laughs> you know. It's like a ch- it's like child or children or something in German. Mm. I think I think it's domestic. Okay, hey, I'm into I'm ninety nine percent sure it's domestic actually. But uh, yeah, whenever whenever I travel a little a little bit east, I always get a case just for fun. Nice. But uh, yeah. Um, so 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 that's why Bond wasn't drinking anything fun and exciting. Because right. There wasn't no. Anything I, fun and exciting to drink. I, I think he was also in a pretty like it was not a well it was 1989 so it was not a big craft beer kind of thing to your point but it was also like because like typically if he drinks beer it's like Heineken or something because like Heineken hands off my Heine. Right. And like Heineken's <laughs> like a big like um they do a lot of like uh product integration stuff with the Bond franchise historically. Oh, interesting. But uh, they were in, you know, the bar they were in was, it was a pretty rough place. You know what I mean? <laughs> there was, there were drug runners there and stuff. And it, <laughs> it was, it was like a pretty tough, uh, tough uh, uh, environment. No so heinies they, they to be had. They probably didn't have like some kind of like foreign, um, like wuss kind of beer like that, I guess. <laughs> um, I, oh, I, do you, sorry, go ahead, have go. you noticed how uh, Italian beer tastes? like skunky oh it's bad yeah italian it tastes like really it bad. tastes like weed i mean it yeah. tastes like bad weed when, when i was in um <laughs> I, I spent a you know a little bit of time in italy several years ago and all the beer there was like garbage i mean even yeah um, i had some danish beer that i really liked a lot they could get the grocery store down the street from where i was staying but otherwise full disclosure for for my my supervisor who i'm sure will never listen to this episode but uh i don't yeah, I've never I've never smoked pot. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not necessarily proud of that. I don't really care one way or the other what other people do. For me, it's not sure. a thing. But um, anyways, yeah, like even I had a uh, at a Stella. Is that mm-hmm. is that Italian? Is that French? That's a good question. Artois is definitely French. 
Okay. But, in any case, even that, like Peroni, Peroni is skunky, yeah. and even Stella, I thought was just really yeah. Stella, bad. I don't, I don't care for either. Um, it's got kind of a nothing beer. Um, yeah, honestly, if I if I, if I'm out and I I go for something that's not um, like dim, that's not like a some kind of craft something or other, it's probably Heineken and probably nothing else. You know. Mm. Um, you and I haven't had since you gave me a bottle uh, in your dorm room like mm-hmm. six or seven years ago. Uh, what, Grosch? Is oh, that Grosch? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I like yeah, How is that? Yeah. It's been a long it's time, been a long since, time I since I've had that. had that too. I just liked it because it has like, it's like the big bottles with like the the mm-hmm. kind of top that you, you pop it in a, in a yeah, weird way. Yeah. It's like, but it's on like a little like metal uh, there's a little, like metal. I don't even know what, how to describe that. Like harness kind of thing that the yeah, yeah. That the top is yeah. is plugged into. That the, that's that's pretty cool. That feels that very is, uh, quaint. I I love the kind of like um, I you know love when when you get like like a nice beer and it's in like it's a single bottle and it, there's like a cork. That's really cool. Oh yeah, that's like yeah. very satisfying in a way to be like oh yeah. man I'm like a like a um. Flemish monk or something. I don't even know. <laughs> like, I don't know why Flemish specifically, but like I'm like, a, um, yeah, yeah. I'm like, old, it's very old school, and I appreciate. Yeah, that. absolutely. No packaging. Packaging is uh, is everything. Yeah. Um. Uh, speaking of packaging, <laughs> uh, today we're we're discussing uh one of one of a handful of bands mm-hmm. who released an album within the context of an entire like newspaper issuing. However, that's not the the album. We're that's, not discussing any. That's an interesting. That that's some interesting packaging for sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, so uh, we're just uh, go ahead, Charles. You you take no, no 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 no. Hey, that was a, a beautiful segue. You you uh, <laughs> uh, uh, deserve to be able to to say the name of the of the band of the album. Yeah. Okay. So so uh, I'll do it then. Uh, so Jethro Tull. Mm-hmm. We're discussing a Jethro Tull song today. And we're discussing a uh, a deeper cut. We're discussing a Bloodwin Pig song, and the reason for that uh, is because after uh, Jethro Tull's first album, um, I believe the guitarist left. One of the band members left and founded uh, Bloodwin Pig. Yeah. So there's a, sort of a, a relation between these two bands, uh, and they separated for creative purposes so this is an opportunity to look and see you know what kind of music bloodwin pig made compared to what kind of music jethro tall ended up making right right yeah mick abrahams one of the many great english guitar mix um uh he <laughs> so he, many he left you know there's a uh I've, I've definitely mentioned this on the podcast probably more than once there's a some like documentary where um, they talk about David Bowie is talking about Mick Ronson, the guitar player from the Spiders from Mars, who produced like five records of, of his in the seventies. Um, he also produced Transformer, the Lou Reed album, which we've talked about oh, and, and sure. that kind of stuff. Um, but they were talking about how they would call him Rono because they knew so many Micks, like in the music scene. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, is it is it Mick Abrahams? Is it Mick Jagger? Is it Mick Jones? Is it Mick? Uh, is it the you know the other Mick Jones? Is it um. Because <laughs> uh, there's a Mick Jones and Farner and a Mick Jones and the Clash. Is it uh, um, Mick Taylor? You know, there's so many Micks. Yeah. Um, but uh, anyway, uh, but yeah, Mick Abraham is the original guitarist, and Jethro Tull leaves after their first record, or is it their second? It's after their first. Oh, okay, first. is it Stand Up or This Was? Mm-hmm. I believe it's Stand Up. Okay, 
Can I can um, verify that? But. Right on. No, 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 no. I, I, I think what I'm thinking of is, I'm thinking of Benefit, which is the first album that I think Jeffrey Hammond Hammond plays bass on, and I think that's what I'm thinking of as far as like when band members leave. Because I, I, I was like, wait, did did he come on at that point, or did uh, Martin Barr uh, come on? Anyway, um, yeah, that's not a period of Jethro Tull that I. I'm super familiar with um, that first no, record. I, mean, I don't really listen to it, but um, they're more like a blues yeah, band I, at that point, right? Yeah, more more of a blues band, and that was sort of Mick Abraham's thing. Um, just like scrolling through, you know, the track listing mm-hmm. on on this was. I don't really see any songs I I recognize as hits. Sure. Um, sure. The artwork is the artwork is intriguing for sure. Um, but again, so, so this was came out in, uh, 1968 mm-hmm. and, uh, Jethro Tull began like, like really definitely, uh, developed their sound for a few years after afterwards, but they really, I mean, struck gold when they released Aqualung in, in 1971. Right. And that was really right. when they found their, their niche. Um, yeah. And then on the other hand, uh, so you've got Bloodwind Pig, um, if I can pull them up, yeah, I think I, I was just looking at. I think the only song that I rec- uh, recognize from um, this was a song for Jeffrey, um, which I mainly know because they played that on um, uh, on uh, uh, the the Rolling Stones' Rock and Roll Circus. But at that point, Mick Abrahams had already left the band, and actually Tony Iommi right. from Black Sabbath stood in for him on that for that performance. Oh, okay, but then I guess if you look at like. Stand up their next, uh, their next record. You know, you have more like I think Living in the Past comes out as a non album single around that time, and you have like A New Day Yesterday and their instrumental version. Oh, I'm sorry, it's real. Their version of um, the Bach uh, Beret in E minor from, from the Lute Suite in E minor. Um, mm. Lute, uh, yeah, hey, there it is. Um, you know, definitely like you see a little more of a um, softer kind of a sound and a less blues based kind of a sound. I wonder if that's why Mick Abraham's left ultimately. Like he maybe wasn't happy with the direction they were going in or whatever. Right. No, absolutely. And, and so um, I don't know if we've mentioned yet. So the songs mm-hmm. we're doing are uh, see my way by uh blood wind pig off, mm-hmm. off their debut album, a head rings out and uh, bungle in the jungle. Um, which came later in Jethro Tull's career. Yeah, what, that's off of War Child, it? which is sure. the record 74? after. Yeah, that's the record after Passion Play. Mm. Um, I think if I remember correctly, I think the deal with that was a Passion Play was they started recording um, and recording this idea of like human beings as animals kind of thing, this kind of idea uh, with Bungle in the Jungle being developed at that time and that being kind of like the mission statement of the the record that they were proposing to do and the the, the sessions didn't go well and they kind of fell apart and they reconvened to do a passion play a little later sure um, so when war child came back around that song already existed and kind of made its way into into that um oh sure yeah that, that and that which, kind of stuff happens all the time sure sure but yeah. but i guess like yeah the whole idea is like 
the world is a jungle and we all have our parts to play in it, which I honestly think Fashion Blade is much more interesting kind of an idea and album than that sounds like it would be, you know? Like, sure. We just did our Pink Floyd Animals episode and, you know, we didn't really talk about the concept of that record, but like, it's a little little boring at this point this kind trite, of, maybe. yeah it's kind yeah. of think of like oh you know it's like oh there's pigs and there's sheep and their dogs and maybe they're communists <laughs> and maybe they're capitalists but like who cares you know like whatever you know sure we get it sure. uh um, so bungle in the jungle strangely beautiful oh yeah it's a great song i mean i mean very very enjoyable but that's i mean you you aren't necessarily accustomed to beautiful songs in rock and roll. They're they're there and there are plenty of them, but that's not the that's not mm-hmm. the norm, um, and especially not with. I, I I take that back. I was gonna say especially not with Jethro Tull, but they mm-hmm. they bring such a strange combination of like beauty and like edginess. Yeah, if that makes sense. Yeah. There's like a snark um, to Jethro Tull a lot of the time. But I, I think that that you know Ian Anderson is like he's a great writer of tunes, you know what I mean? His melodies oh, are yeah, always really yeah. great. Um but yeah I was struck by that too. I think part of it might be what makes that song stand out for me on a as a Jethro Tull song is that there's like backing vocals. But there's not a whole lot of backing vocals in Jethro Tull songs. But mm. he does like a harmony with himself on the chorus. Um and like I can't think of a lot of instances where it's not just Ian Anderson singing by himself, you know, mm-hmm. I, 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 maybe like songs from the wood, obviously it's like a big kind of chorus kind of thing going on. Like there's like multiple voices on that, but up to that point, like if you listen to most, most of things, a brick or, or the tracks on Aqualung, not a lot of backing vocals. And there's also the strings in there. Cause I think D Snyder yeah, was, yeah. was basically a full member of the band at that point. Um, their other keyboard player and, and or who would do orchestrations for them. Um, but yeah, it's a really, I really nice to track. What do you think about this Bob and pig song? I'd never heard it before. Um, Oh yeah. I like it a lot. I don't know really how I discovered, you know, a, a section we haven't done in a long time is like, how, when did you first hear these two? Oh yeah. Uh, songs. Um, but anyways, yeah. So I, I remember discovering, uh, Bloodwind pig at some point like late in high school, mm. but I don't remember how that occurred. Just, just that it occurred. Yeah. And so I, I liked uh, several songs from their, their debut album. This one was probably my, my favorite. Um, you know, I, I definitely feel like I can, I can hear the sort of Jethro Tull uh, connection to some extent. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, as, as, as Mick Abrahams would have wanted, uh, and as you've pointed out, like I can definitely hear uh, the blues a lot more significantly. Sure. Um, yeah. Uh, specifically, maybe on, even more so on some other tracks. Like I chose this one because, you know, there are one or two things occurring in this song that I can see a little bit more Jethro Tulliness than, than some of their other yeah. ones. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, like some of several of the tracks on A Head Rings Out are just like like very um you know by the numbers blues songs with maybe one or two like gimmicks uh mm-hmm. tossed in mm-hmm. so there's there's one song where uh it opens with like a 30 second like monologue in like really heavy like um 
what is it like cockney accent is that right yeah okay um, yeah like it's so it's so heavy and it has so many uh colloquialisms that it's very very difficult to understand <laughs> oh funny that is that's pretty jethro tall i feel like, like that's, yeah, uh, yeah yeah that's, exactly that's, that's um it's 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 fun to listen to uh and then it, it goes into a very um you know by, by the numbers sort of blues song mm-hmm. and it's 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 all entertaining um yeah, what what did you think of uh, See My Way? I really liked it. It, it. I actually I listened to a couple versions of it by mistake. I I listened to uh, the first one I listened to. I guess was like a more recent like re-recording that the band did okay. with the original lineup. Was my understanding when I kind of looked into it because I was like, man, this sounds like the drums sounded very like like contemporary or, or at least sure. like not nineteen sixty nine or whatever. Like they sounded like they were even recorded maybe 20 or 30 years later and i was like that's a little weird like um but uh and i, I quite like that version but then the and it was a little more relaxed than the 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 original version which is like rocks pretty hard for for parts of it or at least like right is quite quick you know and kind of like intense which i i appreciated yeah um yeah, and i like the little uh i even like the sax part in there which historically on, on this pod i've been a slightly anti-saxophone i think but Right, it's um, it it's definitely has like a cheese ball kind of thing to me, but like uh, it can, hey, yeah. You know, but I really liked it on this song. Yeah, when when I yes, sex can be extremely uh, hit or miss. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, there's there's Bruce Springsteen saxophone. There's um, uh, there's like Steely Dan. I I always think of like the Steely Dan kind of like pop rock. Yeah, yeah, uh, and that's not great, Which, but like. But then, yeah. and I, I would prefer that to the Springsteen kind of saxophone, which, hey, sure, R.I.P. Clarence Clemens. But that's some, yeah, I mean, yeah. a little like kind of grating, I find. But what's what's best, like rock and roll saxophone at its best mm-hmm. to me, is like uh, the saxophone on on Twenty First Century Schizoid Man. Yeah, it just absolutely shreds. I mean, absolutely. it's it's incredible. And, and of course, there's um, those great sax solos on, uh, you know, Dark Side of the Moon and Wish You Were Here. Mm, you know, absolutely, like on us and them and whatever and that you know that that guy what's his name dick barry something like that he really like brings a lot to those tracks for sure that's a um, funny name yeah it, it is funny i wonder if it, his name is dick means dick allen but dick barry is pretty <laughs> is pretty funny um, uh yeah yeah okay so back to the mature uh uh anecdote and mature analysis mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so you hadn't heard them before. So what is it, what is it with bands like, I don't know. So bands like Bloodwind Pig or Gentle Giant or I don't know, some other examples, um, just (laughs) (laughs) bands that have like (laughs) others. Uh, so there, there, there are plenty of, of bands that like, you can see the talent there Mm -hmm. and they, they have like a sufficient pedigree to like achieve some no no notoriety Mm -hmm. what is it that sets like a jethro tall band apart from a bloodwind pig band well i think that jethro tall i feel like the the obvious thing there is like and i I do think that in their classic lineup they were very much i don't they would have been the band that they that they were without any of the members doing what they were doing you know i'm really like sure um uh you know um uh what's his name um, Bob Bob Evans is that at the keyboard player? You know he's really great. Barrymore Barlow, mm-hmm. the drummer's really great. Uh, Martin Barr is a big part of their sound, the guitarist. But like, I mean, 
it's the Ian, Ian Anderson of it all. Like his right, songwriting right. is so great, and he's such a like amazing stage presence, and he's like great singer and a great acoustic guitarist, and like but right. he has that kind of like explosive kind of flute playing, you know, which is like pretty novel, Absolutely. but is also like um has it's it's not just novelty you know it has like real um there's a there's a lot of depth to what he's doing and a lot of like musical musical depth and it's it's interesting to listen to him uh, as a flute player um but then you know some of these like great interesting songs that i think like of all the prog rock bands to some degree i feel like Tall have like you know other than maybe pink floyd i mean they they've aged pretty well i think Overall, oh yeah yeah you know? yeah i think i think compared to, for a to prog rock band you yeah. know compared to like a yes and i'm saying that like that means i don't think aging poorly means that something is bad i just think it sounds very much of its time and Chester tall sure. sounds pretty of its time too but like i think because they were hearkening back to these like rootsier sort of sure folk and blues sure. kinds of things you know um yeah and definitely and didn't to take your point, themselves very seriously that's you know it's helpful hmm. yeah definitely to your point with with ian anderson sometimes you know, it's it's easy to think that it's just, you know, like the most uh instrumentally talented bands that are that are successful. And and that's mm-hmm. I would argue that that's not necessarily the the case at all. Like sure. like being talented on with your instrument is is the baseline. Mm-hmm. Like like if you don't have that, you don't have a shot. But all that that gives you really is a shot. Like it mm-hmm. takes so much more right. than that. It and like you said, like with Ian Anderson, sometimes it takes, you know, some kind of a, a muta- musical uh, prodigy, you know, subtract Ian Anderson from Jethro Tull and where is that band? They're or, like any other you know, band. They're like a blogger sure, yeah, pig, t- you know what I or mean? Or like Led Zeppelin, like, yeah. Led Zeppelin, for example. So subtract Robert Johnson and, and where's Led Zeppelin? <laughs> That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Boom. Okay. Um, I, I've talked about that. No, too and much I, on, I think, I mean, I think Zeppelin are maybe a little bit different than the Jethro Tull thing because it is a little more even keeled in terms of like sure. what each band member is bringing to the table. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, I think Blob and Pig, maybe the reason they weren't as successful as Jethro Tull is that they didn't have Ian Anderson in their band or, or an equivalent, yeah. you yeah. know, I think you need that kind right. of like, um, or at least you don't need that kind of thing because like obviously like a Pink Floyd doesn't have any Ian Anderson either, you know, they're kind of just like four guys sort of, standing still and playing their instruments but like you, you know i i i mean they didn't even have roger Our, waters um, as a great lyricist for like most of their career you know or whatever so right um is there anything about pink floyd that's analogous to Kraftwerk? i think probably in the sense of like their live shows being about spectacle and not being about looking at the band members you know sure that's sure. kind of um you know or well, i also feel like with regards to the studio like how meticulous they mm, are with achieving yeah. a, a, like a a level of precision that other other groups just don't care about for sure um all their a lot of their albums are concept albums you know all of craftworks albums are, are concept records basically um so there's that too yeah. uh that kind of like coldness maybe you know right. um hey who who were um pink floyd's uh producer they produced themselves a lot of the time because um, there was I, Alan Parsons was, was the engineer. Alan Parsons is who I'm thinking, right? Yeah. I, I think he essentially co-produced that album, but I don't think he was credited that way. Sure. I think he was credited as like 
as I think he was just the engineer as far do, as do you care at all about Alan Parsons project? You know what? I in the sky gets stuck in my head all the time. I don't really like that song, but it, it <laughs> like annoys me slightly, but I do like yeah. it, but I also kind of yeah. don't, you know, but yeah, um, I have, I have a weird amount of Alan Parsons albums. Oh, weird. I, yeah, yeah. yeah. You got, yeah. <laughs> I robot. You got a uh, tales me, of mystery and imagination or whatever it's called. They're, they're all on, on vinyl naturally, but, uh, I, I can't remember which ones I have, but it is weird. Right? I mean, I think I went through a, a like a very very brief phase where, uh, like I I was I'd gone through a lot of the mainstream mm. rock and roll. Yeah, uh, and not that Alan Parsons isn't mainstream, but he's he's uh, I'd say nowadays he's off the beat. Right, path. like who who's listening to Alan Parsons Project Records? You right, know? like there's this couple of big hits, and <clears throat> I know um, I at least have. Um. Oh, what is it called? Uh, Eve and um, Turn of a Friendly Card, and I think one or two others besides that. Wow. I think I do have iRobot. Um, um, I you know oh, I think I have Tales of Mystery and Imagination. The okay. uh, they they are, they are uh, Ground Poe one. Yeah, I I will say they have a song. I can't think what it's called. They have a song that um, Colin Blundstone, the singer from the Zombies, uh, guests on. That's really good, mm-hmm. and I can't think of what it's called. But he's, I mean, he's he's a great he's such such a great singer. He could sing anything and make it work, I guess. But what about uh, what about uh, Mike Oldfield? I like Mike Oldfield. Hey, Tubular Bells yeah. kicks ass. I just listened to that the other day. <laughs> um, I was like, I'm was really into it. I, I haven't listened to a, I've listened to like Omadon, like one of his other records, but like mm. I, I don't think I've listened to much else that he's done. But that one album, that's really good. So you, what do you think about... So you like Tubular Bells. Do you yeah. like Tubular Bells 2? What about Tubular Bells 3? <laughs> are there are there uh, sequels? There, yeah, there, there are three Tubular Bells. Well, that's Actually, there, there are more than three. There's, there's, yeah, Tubular Bells, Tubular Bells 2, Tubular Bells 3. There's, um, there's, uh, there, there's remixes of them. <laughs> there's a uh, um, uh, Tubular Bell... Uh, which is sort of the the reverse aliens uh, sequel. Um, there's the the 2018 remake, um, which is sort of like it kind of disregards all the other uh, albums, but like it's like a direct sequel to the first one. But it's also called Tubular Bells. <laughs> Dude, there's so a, that's a great that's a Halloween joke for you Halloween heads out there. You honestly should should go online and and look there. Half of his catalog is Tubular Bells. Hey, content. I mean, I get it. Because, like, well, I mean, if you're doing, like, instrumental music, like, why not call it all Tubular Bells? Just throw a Tubular Bell on there at some point. <laughs> yeah. That's all that you need, you know? Because, like, sure. you know, it, that way you can sell some records, you know? So good for him. I, I don't think that's a problem. I mean, Mike Goldfield is such, like, a crazy, like, I mean, the fact that he played all of that himself, like, the amount of, like, Oh, I didn't know he did yeah, that. Yeah, he played all the instruments on it. And and wow. like like the fact that he was able to do that, like all these like and it's complicated music, the fact that he could keep it all straight and record it like at that time, like recording as a solo musician in the the 70s must have been really hard. You know, because sure. so, you can't like edit digitally or whatever. You know, I, it's, that's got to be really tough. Yeah, I mean, I I know like for for my part, it's easy to load multiple tracks into um into like a mix down on like adobe audition Mm -hmm. for example and then make cuts and um 
uh, amplitude adjustments and so on and so forth. And yeah. they're all just right there for you. But if you're, if you're dealing with like, yeah. And so, so he would have to know, like, as he's laying the basic tracks, like he has to like, it'd be really deliberate about that. And there's so much music in that album, you know, I mean, the right. second half is kind of, is a little boring, but the first half is amazing, you know, start to finish, but the second half is like, okay. Uh, I, I, I will say the last time I was listening to it, I was sort of like, I was like, you know, kind of like dozing off and I was like, I'm just going to put on something like kind of nice and serene. And sure. I did sort of fall asleep midway through, I was like reading and then I just sort of fall asleep listening to two wheeler pedals and I got woken up by like the caveman section where there's like, <laughs> where the drums come in and there's that like backwards voice going, <laughs> whatever it is he's saying and like did that, you forget that's... about that when you went i guess the... yeah i listened to it years so like it scared me and i woke up and i was like what's going on um so that's great yeah um, i in yeah. college i used to put on uh there were a few i weirdly i i was able to follow fall asleep to paranoid by black sabbath like okay I, I'm kinda, not exactly sure what. Actually, what it is is I think. Let's uh, like that um, um, that Star Trek: The Next Generation episode where they find that human kid on the alien star cruiser. You know what I'm talking about? And he to sleep, he has to listen to that terrible uh, alien oh, music. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I do like, remember that. Kid, that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I think it's something a lot less um, artistic and much more scientific. I think that like loud bass sort mm. of like i think that like the way that affected i think it just relaxed sure, me sure. somehow well I, um i mean i think good sleeping music just has to be like it doesn't really matter what the sound is it just has to be consistent there's big ups and downs like the caveman mm, sure. coming in the caveman <laughs> sure. section coming in sure that that like wakes you up but i i i've it's been years since i listened to paranoid but it's pretty samey all the way through in terms of intensity I th- right i think so there's not like an so. acoustic ballad or something right like no uh, I had a, uh, I had a double LP, uh, Grand Funk Railroad, like live album. Sure. Yeah. That was, that was great for falling asleep to nice. for some reason. I still never listened to it. I've only fall, fallen asleep to it. Um, once or twice during my vinyl collecting career, I've bought an album and then discovered it was a live album. And <laughs> it's always annoyed me. Like, yeah. I don't want a live album. Right, that right. sucks. That's yeah. That's too bad. I yeah, live records are a mixed bag. I they been, really are. There are a few that are legendary, but yeah, I I mean I I can't really think of any that I like to list. I mean there are like a few individual live versions of songs that I prefer to the recorded ones. Sure, but there's not a whole lot of like live albums that I listen to consistently. Right. Like um, if you're a Peter Frampton fan. Then Frampton Comes but, Alive is one of the best albums. Right, of time. right. But those are also the versions of those songs that you've been hearing for forever. Right. So it's not right. really, it's not really like a live album because you're not listening to it to like yeah. hear it, like a hear the songs live. You know. So would you say that that same argument applies to something like uh, Live at Folsom Prison? Maybe, although I don't think I've ever actually heard any versions of that, any like or any or any of the recordings from that album. But may, maybe it's like it's a little bit like cheap, I think all like the song trick thing. Like I much rather, okay. I don't want to listen to the studio version of I want you to want me. I want to listen to the live Budokan version because that's yeah, the version that yeah. gets played on radio. Or maybe yeah. I'm amazed. You know the, the the classic version of that is the live version. Not that was the one that was a hit. Not not the uh, 
the original album version, which is like okay. But the wings you know, we live should version do, is great. We should probably do a Johnny Cash. Uh, That's a good idea. Episode. Um. But yeah, I so I guess the reason I bring up Folsom Prison is because I'm not really sure whether I don't know enough about Johnny Cash to know whether like these recordings have prominent studio recordings too or not sure i'm sure i'm sure plenty of them have well, Folsom prison blues does you know i mean that was already a song and that's why he recorded right. there you know um but yeah i'm trying to think there are some like there's a, a a live album um that i like quite a bit called the horrible truth about burma um by mission of burma and uh mm-hmm. that is like all um non-album tracks so they were like breaking up because their guitar player had really bad tinnitus and couldn't perform anymore Mm. and um so they like had a bunch of new songs they had like an album's worth of new songs so they just recorded them on the tour and toured with them and then put the the, that out um nice instead of putting out a, a regular record um but they're like also like well recorded and frankly that band live doesn't sound very different from the band of the studio in all honesty. Like it's, it's, right. not, it's not a big difference, but um, they're quite good. I think you would like them. mission of Mur- mission of Burma. Definitely heard of them before. Yeah. Not, not just from you. They're pretty cool. They're like a little power trio, but they have a fourth guy in the band who would do like live loops of the other band members and like tape effects. Um, and oh, so okay. there were, okay. there's like some weird, there's like weird, there, there, there's this like, you know, they kind of do this like kind of, um, they're very like avant-garde kind of punk band, but the songs are really solid. Like they write like good, it, the, the songs aren't like super weird necessarily, but there's like a lot of weird stuff going on with them. Yeah. Um, yeah. Let's do, let's do mission of Burma and, um, cool. Uh, we Buke should. and Gase, which is a lame band name, but they're cool. Oh, okay. I'm into that. Buke and Gase. Yeah, they're they're neat. Um Great. Um so that's that's uh, See My Way yeah. by Bloodwin Pig and uh in the, in the Jungel by uh Jethro Tull is interesting to me as far as my relationship to them because I I listen to a passion play and thick as a brick, you know, several times a year. Mm -hmm. And I listen to Aqualung, you know, maybe once or twice a year. Uh, But outside of that, you know, I don't listen to very much, even if it's a hit. So for Mm -hmm. instance, like I'm, I'm, I'm familiar with Bungle in the jungle, but because it's not on any of those three albums, I, I listen to it very, very seldom. So it's kind of refreshing to hear it. And it, Again, I go back to like how how beautiful it is. It's it's uh, it's it's got so different of a tone from from Aqualung or Thick yeah, as a Brick no, or no, right. Play, it's like a different all, band. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Uh, you know, all the same elements are still there, but they, like they seem geared towards you know just a lighter, more like pleasant tone. Yeah. than any of those other three albums uh, right. gives off ever. Um, do, do you have I'm not going to sandbag you with this so if you don't have to answer this if you don't want to do you have like a top five non Aqualung Thick as a Brick or Passion Play Jethro Tull songs no okay. no I don't okay, okay, yeah. I don't I couldn't name five oh, wow. songs okay. that aren't from those three you should albums. listen to Songs from the Wood that's a really good album yeah that's a really good album I, and I it, it is it is 
not unlike honestly war trial is too the album this is off of but um uh yeah songs from the wood is you know it's real good so okay so uh i'll just turn the question back around on you because people like like lists so what would be not necessarily in order mm. but top five jethro tall not from a passion play aqua long or thick as a brick i think and this is not a very interesting list in the sense that these aren't like deep cuts or anything but sure. it would probably be skating away on the thin ice of a new day mm-hmm. do you know that mm-hmm. song uh yes yeah um, not too familiar but yes then uh too old to rock and roll too young to die um songs from the wood ring out solstice bells their christmas song <laughs> and heavy horses be my top okay five. yeah heavy horses is a great that's a great song that's also a song that i prefer live versions of to the studio 1978 heavy horses it sings, sings a weird thing that like uh, I like his uh, voice a lot. Oh, you know, yeah. I can see people not liking that voice, but it's it's good. He's great. Yeah, it's a great voice. Um, an, an uncharacteristic sort of rock and roll voice, but he sounds like he should be in like an Irish folk band, but but um, a little bit, you know. Almost, but, yeah, yeah. I could see him uh, training his voice to to be in that sort of a. Oh, I want to go back to uh, O'Malley's now. Hmm. Oh yeah. Maybe I'll convince my wife to go there my wife. for dinner with me tonight. Oh, nice. Very cool. Maybe we'll do something bad and just yeah. go do that. Um great. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um you know, check out Bloodwind Pig if uh yeah. you feel like you've exhausted all the mainstream avenues right. for blues or progressive rock and roll. You know, yep. they've got something to offer. They're they're one of those bands um some other ones would be like like Wishbone Ash. We should maybe talk about them a yeah. little bit. They're they're great and you know not known at all today. Uh, uh, I always one... it pops into my head is uh, Premiata Forneria Marconi, the Italian progressive rock band. Oh they're gosh, great. Not yeah, if you Google yeah. um, uh, P, uh, PFM, um, that's they often oh, okay. the PFM band you can probably find them but it means the award winning Marconi Bakery and it's like Premiata nice. Forneria Marconi that's a great the, name um, they, they're great their first album's really really good uh, they, they awesome. have kind of a, a kind of a King Crimson-y sort of a sound but with like okay. synthesizers yeah. instead of Mellotron it's really they're really good yeah they were on um, ELP's record label actually oh because it's oh, an ELP podcast um, I felt the need Manticore? to yeah they were on Manticore records yeah yeah totally very cool. Another yeah. one I really like. I feel like, I feel like if you like CCR, but like CCR is not cool enough for you, then Black Oak, Arkansas is oh, the way to yeah, go. Yeah, absolutely. You know? Yeah, it's like kind of like a darker. Do you like CCR? Yeah, I I like them. Um, honestly, like for for you know 60s 70s rock and roll they almost seem like a little bit mainstream hmm. for me yeah you know like well they're i i feel like i've like heard they're like however many i mean they have a bunch of hit songs but however many hit songs they sure. have, i feel like i've heard all of them 1000 times and yes, i never yes, need to listen absolutely. to them again and it makes me not want to dig in any deeper because i've heard bad moon rising or proud mary Six thousand times a piece, or whatever. <laughs> yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah, I, I just and wish... Black Oak, Arkansas, in a lot of ways, is like you know, authenticity is in everything. But like, like the fact that the fact that they like 
they're they're making music out of like where they came from you know mm-hmm. like they're they're not like uh musical transplants as it were is is kind of mm-hmm. cool to me um they're very like authentically where they're from the fact That's that cool. they stole like the fact that they, they stole all of their like concert equipment from the high school that they didn't graduate from is very that's very cool roll. that's that's very <laughs> rock and roll i love that uh i you know something about ccr i i wish that fortunate son were used in more like movies about the army you know? yeah it, that never happened <laughs> i wish and... i wish i wish there were more shots of like helicopters going over vietnam with 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 that song playing i know, I know. I, it seems like a missed opportunity <laughs> i guess is what i'm saying <laughs> oh man it 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 really does seem like like film producers caught on to like thematic music from that era and really just yeah like any movie about like the late 60s or the early 70s is just saturated in right uh, a political soundtrack i i think it's and, the and it's fine, the all on the watchtower the jimmy hendrix all on the watchtower in um apocalypse now i think is kind of where Maybe where that comes from a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, have okay. you seen Apocalypse Now? You know, actually, I haven't. I'm a little bit like hesitant because I'm not confident that I'd like it. You know what? I what I I saw, and I'm not I'm not necessarily recommending it because it is sort of a, a very it's a very self indulgent movie in a lot of ways. But that said, um, when I watched it, which I guess was in college, like I really loved it, and I've seen it a okay. couple of times, and I really really enjoyed it a lot. I, I, I think if I think if you like war movies which i typically do um it's definitely worth a watch and it's okay. it's a great like i also think if you like 2001 a space odyssey it's like mm-hmm. it's not very it's not similar to that movie really except yeah. that it's like it's got that kind of scope it's like to it 1968 a vietnam odyssey yeah right exactly yeah yeah <laughs> where you're like like uh, a riverboat odyssey or whatever where, where you like see a lot of stuff happening like in real time you know yeah. like uh doesn't have it, um it doesn't have john voight it has um no it's um martin sheen but close they do okay, the martin same sheen, but i'm thinking of i'm thinking of somebody else too who's in that robert duvall um, robert duvall's who I'm yeah he's yeah. great robert duvall's he's great. so great that's my favorite sequence in the movie he's like this crazy okay. helicopter guy and interesting um, he's okay. in it a uh, very like a 16 year old lawrence fishburne is in it um, Marlon Brando obviously is, is a big, is oh, a big yeah. character. Harrison Ford has like a tiny part in it. Um, oh, interesting. Like pre star okay. Wars, Harrison Ford's, but that, that's pretty yeah. cool. Yeah. Um, there's uh, a guy who looks just like Dr. Zia from Benedictine also. <laughs> yeah. He says terminate okay. with extreme prejudice. It's his only line. He looks just <laughs> like him. It's really crazy. <laughs> okay. Now, now I do. You need that. to watch that, it. I forgot about that until this said, moment. Means... You need to watch it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I want to watch that now. Uh, so last night I did something I I seldom do anymore. So I'm I'm a social person. So mm-hmm. I I like watching movies with people. The yeah. issue is that I don't like when people talk during movies. So mm. I'm a little bit of yeah. Maybe maybe that's that's unfair of me. But anyways, I watched a movie alone last night. I rewatched uh, Sunset Boulevard for the first time. Nice. I'd say around 15 yeah. years. Like I, it was high school was at, at the most recent the last time mm-hmm. I'd seen that film. And I'm really into, like, I shouldn't say really into, I haven't seen a lot of them, but I, I do uh, I do enjoy black and white films, specifically maybe some of the more, like, artistic or, like, uh, 
like boundary pushing hmm. black and white mm-hmm. movies. Um, and Sunset Boulevard is, is considered one of those. And, uh, and it was great. Um, oh, yeah, that's a great movie. That's a really great, like, yeah, definitely an yeah. all time. And I'm a big, uh, I shouldn't say big because I, I've only seen three or four, uh, William Holden movies. Oh, okay. I, I, like I would say him. that's a lot. I think as a modern okay. viewer, I, I, I've only seen my the head, one, I think. Bridge Over the River Kwai, Sunset mm. Boulevard, and uh, Stalag 17. I've seen those mm. three for sure. Mm-hmm. Maybe one or two others. I'm not, I don't know. But uh, it was weird because what I thought was just like the way people spoke in the 40s and 50s, you know, watching Sunset yes. Boulevard, I realized wasn't Tyler just Grant. the way people <laughs> spoke. Like it, a lot of it was just the way like William Holden spoke. And it's like, mm. oh, interesting. Okay, so he brings kind of a lot of the same style of speech to like, yeah, his films. That's so weird how people talk because like not every actor does. Because you have like, because like what I think of is like the weird like, like the kind of mid Atlantic like Cary Grant thing, you know, like where he okay. just talks like a weirdo, you know. <laughs> yeah. um, but then you get other people who are doing these like very different things. Like I think of like an Orson Welles as being like his, uh-huh. he he's not a very natural performer. Like his performances are natural, but he doesn't really do that in quite the same way. Mm-hmm. Or maybe he does actually. But I know a movie I was thinking a lot about this past week in regards to like performances and how things like age and whatever. Um was a psycho, you know, in psycho, oh, sure. N- yeah. the guy who plays Norman Bates, um, Anthony Perkins. I mean, his performance is so like, um, low key and sort of measured and like normal, you know, like he's behaving like a, like a human being. And like other people in that movie are like acting the way that people acted in the early sixties, which is a little more like, ah, you know, I don't even, I don't know how to <laughs> yeah. describe it. I'm like doing a weird face and like, Nick no, and I Steve think I know guy, exactly but, what you mean. But people like are like, this- well, it's a, we like, to go like down jerky to the, and like yes. surprised. Yes, everybody. hello. Yes, we're having an affair, aren't we? In your your apartment. <laughs> when are you ever going to get? You're 27 years old. When are you ever going to get married? You know, <laughs> like that kind of thing. And but he's like he like is behaving like a human, which is funny because he's <laughs> right. a psychopath or whatever. You know, uh-huh. he's not really. I think it's more complicated than that. You I, know I what? Um, Mormon, I guess is what you I'm know saying. what Sunset Boulevard reminded me of. It made mm-hmm. me think like. Okay, so Sunset Boulevard came out in, I think, 1950. I think exactly 1950 when it came out. Like, the the protagonist in the film sort of narrates the whole film. Mm-hmm. And it reminded me, the way he narrated it, it reminded me of, like, the Twilight Zone. Because it was oh, always yeah. like, imagine if, or put yourself in this scenario. Right. Like, the entire film you know it's like it was this situation that i was in was just like if this were to happen in real life you know right right and, th- and that's compounded and I, by the fact that spoiler alert he's dead through the whole movie and it's a flashback which you figure dead. you figure out quick. No, I, I don't i say spoiler is a joke because it's the first shot in the movie i don't think that's right, a spoiler right. i think that's like yeah uh, it would be a spoiler if they if they chose an actor who'd never started in a film before but they chose freaking bill holden like right that'd right. be like choosing chris pratt you know, like there wouldn't be a there wouldn't be a spoiler if you showed him dead at the beginning of a film, right? Right, but it's like oh, they killed like well, it's it's kind of like the psycho thing. You have Janet Lee, who you think is you're going to see through to the end, and she gets killed in the first twenty minutes. Mm-hmm. You know, um, unexpectedly. I psycho. Oh, so I really want to watch more uh, Hitchcock films. Um, Me too, I haven't honestly. seen I haven't seen very many of them. I've I've, I've seen a few of them recently but not many like I, 
I haven't seen uh, The Birds in like 15 years either. I really liked I really The Birds. That one. I was surprised at how much I liked The Birds. Because it's yeah. such an insane premise. But I was on board. <laughs> yeah. You know, I was like, oh, that's scary. Because they're just around all the time. You know, like, I don't know. Oh, that's yeah. weird. Weird stuff. I I I, I want to see. I want to see Marnie. There's a movie called Marnie of his. Oh, I, I've heard of Marnie. Yeah, yeah it, Marnie's it, great. I, I've heard it's like the kind of like, uh, it's like the secret masterpiece kind of one. Like it's one that like people like Hitchcock fans really love, but that wasn't like a big commercial success or something like that. But sure. Sean Connery is sure. in it too, though, and I've kind of mixed feelings about him, so I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I won't see it. Yeah. He bums yeah. me out <laughs> in movies. I just want Diamonds Are Forever, his last Bond, and he literally. So we've talked about him like using women as human shields, which happens more than once. Obviously, <laughs> oh he's he is scripted to do that, presumably. Sure, but like sure. the other Bonds don't do stuff like that as much. Um, I think Roger Moore uses a woman as a human shield once, you know, and then and okay, and yeah, it's somebody who's better. trying to kill him. So like it's you know, uh, but like uh, you know, literally in Diamonds Are Forever, Sean Connery, who's just phoning in his performance at that point, strangles a woman with her own bikini top. <laughs> He doesn't kill her, but like he, he gets information from her, and he like pulls off her bikini, and strangles her with it, and it is truly upsetting. It's like it was horrible. It's very funny because it's like so over the top, but it's also like wow, like he probably actually strangled that woman a little bit with oh with the bikini. You know what I mean? Like how how well choreographed was that fight? You know? Oh, that's it's yeah, really bad. Um, Weirdly, in the same movie, he also gets beaten up by women later on. So I, it's an interesting, so I want, you wonder huh. how much of it's coming from him or whatever, but like, mm-hmm. uh, that's what I, I learned from, uh, a Netflix documentary recently that something more or less about how, when they wanted to make die hard, they were contractually obligated to offer the role to Frank Sinatra before they could hire somebody wow. else. Yeah. Basically because I think because the script was based off of a book oh that he'd already adapted i have heard about this yeah yeah, yeah. something like that that's um, so, funny. so they had to offer him the role and i mean this is the 1980s and sinatra was he's like the almost dead yeah like he's, like he's very, close very to death yeah oh my gosh can you yeah. imagine because it's already a little bit weird watching you know sean connery as the the, the protagonist in in uh, some Bond films or, you know, right. hot belly no, John Wayne he, in like some of these Westerns. I mean, Sean Connery was like, you know, in his forties in his last couple of Bond movies. And he like, like looks way too old for the part at that point. Right, you know, right. um, I would kind yeah, of argue somehow, that Craig kind of looks too old at the end there, but maybe yeah. not. He, for him, I think it works, but like, you know, Sean I Connery how was much like, for sure. Is it just the smoking? Because it feels like mm-hmm. people in the 80s, 70s, 60s, 40s aged a lot faster. It, it does seem like Sean Connery maybe didn't take great care of himself. Um, you know, whereas I think like, then you have somebody like a, you know, I, I've i heard, and this is just scuttlebutt, but I've heard that Tom Cruise, in between takes, he like soaks in ice water before he, he does, oh, uh, huh. before he, he does a take so that he's like, you know, like uh, firm and fresh and like tight, you know. <laughs> There's a lot. And he's of also unproven. like, I mean, he's like probably taking stem cell baths and stuff or whatever yeah. too, and like that kind of stuff, <laughs> you know. There is there is a lot of like, like emerging popularity about like, like 
like ice bath therapy and things like that. No, for um, sure. And I mean, you know, the other side of that is that he he might be doing that because he's also doing a lot of his own stunts and he is like 60. So that's probably part of it too, you know, is that his, yeah. he's like hurting and, and I guess I guess my point is like it's it's definitely growing in popularity, but it's not necessarily like it's not like a like an obviously helpful thing right now because it's mm. it's kind of emerging. Sure. So, Interesting. you know, 10 or 20 years from now, we'll have a better idea if it's really and that I, great of a thing. I want to say, having said that, that if Tom Cruise does do that, I don't think there's anything. I, I'm not. That's not a thing. It sounds a little weird. It's not a shameful thing. I mean, because the thing no. is, like, so what if he wants to look younger? He's like starring and movies are all artifice anyway. You know what I mean? Like. Uh, sure. If he's doing it for, and it doesn't look like he's had like massive, no, like, you're, you're plastic surgery on, or something, it, which I also don't really have a him. problem with. But like, no, I, try to walk this back. You can't. Yeah. This is so offensive. I think there's you're, one thing kind of clinging. To, no, I just want to say that I am like I am very. I'm not pro Tom Cruise necessarily because I think there's some messed up stuff about Scientology, um, and and about him personally. But like, I'm fascinated oh, I by him, and I don't want to yeah. like. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to rag on him. It's interesting to swing like people make, or maybe, maybe it's not even a swing, but maybe it makes sense. Like, like, uh, Tom Cruise for a while was like in seminary, like Catholic seminary to become a priest Really, before his, before his acting career. Mm. And so like on, on, like on, on my end, I kind of see that as like, what a wild swing to go from that all the way to like being into Scientology. For for him, maybe it's like, like his perspective is he's always been like a sort of a, a spiritual uh, seeker. Yeah, you know, I guess on yeah. the lookout for something, something, something yeah. more than all this. I guess. Um, I also th- I've also heard that he's sort of trying to distance himself from Scientology, which I think is interesting. Well, that's um, uh, but that might be a smart move. Yeah, I think so. I think there's some some bad. St- seems like there's some bad stuff going down. Um, not necessarily that he's yeah. privy to, but like, and it's not like there's not bad stuff going down in basically every religion, but like, you know, Scientology in particular. Scientology also seems like it's mostly about making money and like not actually being helpful. And <laughs> right. but then I don't know, yeah. you know, like I mean, who who am I to to judge that kind of thing? I guess. No. Great. Okay, so yeah. we're gonna call it quits here uh, before we get to. Uh, before we, we get to break an, an hour, hour here, yeah, yeah. Uh, um, thanks as always yeah. for listening. Yeah, it's you, you to, guys, it's good. Yeah, it's a good, been a good time as always. Nick and I are very thankful and uh, grateful for anybody who listens. Not to not to yeah, get, we get want real. to thank our ours. Well, we want to thank all of our listeners. Uh, plus by the, name. The, the the nine Lawrence, <laughs> Mike, other uh, Mike, yep, and sometimes my wife. I want to thank. Mm you for our all four I, of our are all four of our listeners i i listen to about 20 percent of our episodes so i'll thank <laughs> myself as well okay great uh, yeah, so, so there's thank that you charles yeah, as well that, there's a couple downloads in there very um, good i want to yeah. thank our uh, uh thousands of bot listeners from a, yes from, from our from bots. A few months what ago. would we do without our bots yeah <laughs> um yeah we had a sudden spike in the ratings and i think it, we think it was it was bots right was i mean that was what it was yeah all the bots that got scared about the Twitter deal and migrated mm. to our podcast instead <laughs> temporarily. 
hey, well, that fell through, so that's probably why the numbers dipped back down. So yeah. he's not buying <laughs> yeah, Twitter exactly. anymore. Yeah, you're right. Exactly. If only Elon had followed through on the deal, we would be our downloads. the biggest podcast of them all. Yeah. <laughs> we would be the Elon Musk of podcasting. Yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. But, Okay, great. Yeah, right. that's that's a great spot to stop. Uh, uh, gonna cease recording in <laughs> no, three, no, you can do it. <laughs> two, one.